0: Let's go ahead and pray and jump in this morning, if we can. Father, uh, we do just want to say that that all this is yours, that we wrestle and and fight and try to take so much of it back all the time, yet it's yours, it belongs to you, and and it's your will, not ours, that needs to be done. And we're going to do that imperfectly. And So, Father, I pray for grace uh, for me, for all of us. As we wrestle and just try to do the best we can, I pray that in Christ's name, Amen. Uh, I uh, was thinking this week about something kind of from my childhood that was interesting. But when I was when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I lived in no fifth and sixth grade. I lived in Maine. My dad was in the military; he was in the Navy, and there he flew these things called a P three, which is like big four big props and they would fly out over the ocean and and look for uh, uh, Russian submarines. Cold War stuff I guess, right? Um, So this is uh, in the 80's, must have been in the 80's. Um, So I'm up in Maine, my dad's there stationed at this this naval base in Brunswick, Maine and they had uh, a ski resort 45 minutes from the town and the military base did this special thing, I think it was on Tuesday nights, where it was really cheap. You just put your kids on the bus after school. Um, they bus them up to the, the ski resort. You ski. They, they had night skiing. You ski kind of into the night. And then they bring you back. Your parents pick you up, and it was real cheap. So every Tuesday night, like, I just, I skied. And get on the bus, kind of by myself, go up and ski. Loved skiing. It was my life. And one of the interesting things about it, I remember, is I would sit by the window, and I would look out the window, and everything was covered with snow and snow. Uh, in Maine kind of in the, in the winter so there's snow kind of on the side of the road and then it's piled up where there's driveways you know big pile and then no snow and then big pile on the other side of the driveway and then it'd be regular snow and then a big pile no snow big pile you know kinda like that and so I'm in the window and I just would watch you know how it would go like this and I'd begin to daydream that I was kinda skiing that you know have you ever done that and jump that, and land here, and ski, and go around that, and then jump over that driveway, and, and I would just imagine that, like, just an hour of, of pure, like, just imagining that. And I kind of got in the habit where I just loved kind of the idea of jumping things, and so in skiing, I would jump things, and you'd always be looking for jumps and things that you could just kind of launch off of, and, and whether it was imaginary, whether it was real, it was just all about jumping things, right? And it was interesting, I, I, I mean, if you're like me at all, right? I guarantee you, at least once a week when you drive by Pilot Butte, you, you imagine like a, a really big bike or a really big set of skis. Because Pilot Butte is just like the ideal jump. Like if you're really, really, really big, you know what I mean? Like it just, <laughs> you just it's, it's so perfect, right? Um, but so it's this kind of organic uh, thing just that you you have a passion for something. It was really fascinating, Come to my senior year of high school, all of a sudden it was um, jumping off of things to prove something. So when we go skiing it would be looking for like big boulders and and series of boulders and it would be jumping off of them trying to prove something and then I went to Jackson Hole Wyoming and it was this huge kind of cliffish thing and I about broke my back jumping off it because my friend had his camera. You know, and I'm thinking, this is gonna this is gonna play really well when I get back to school, right? Um, and and then I got to college, my freshman year of college, I remember um, on a Friday night we were at these dorms and we were picking up some friends and and it was kind of this balcony and you go down and then around, but it's like about two stories and then there's kind of a ground thing here and, and I just hurtled myself over the ledge and jumped down to the bottom and then kind of rolled and got up, totally tweaked my knee. But it was, it was all about, like there was about 10 people and it was a Friday night and, and that's what I do. I jump things, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, this isn't that I'm cool at all because literally I'm not cool. A month ago, I fell about this far to the ground and, and hurt my ribs. I'm so, so not cool, right? Um, but the idea is, here, here, here's the thought, okay? We start things because we, we just love them. And then they they move into a category where we have to quantify and prove them and battle them and measure them. So a girl who just loves doing gymnastics just because, you know, later on has to like compete and and get scores and, and things like that, right? And somebody who goes into something because they just love like numbers and organization and all that, then... All of a sudden, they're, like, having to, like, make money with it to prove that they're good at the numbers or whatever. And it's, like, this tyrannical thing. And guys that play video games because they just, they just like doing nothing. They, they then get to the point where they have to have these uh, halo tournaments and all this other stuff to prove to other people that they're really good at doing nothing. You know? And, and then you begin to judge yourself by this and analyze it. And here's just the thought, that, you know, this week. I'm thinking things start so just real and then as they go we we have this innate tendency to have to package them does that make sense we have we have to we have to take and package it and make it mean something extra and then our identity gets wrapped up in it it it, it was us that loved this thing gave rise to this thing and then over here it's the other way around. It's this thing that now gives rise to value in us. It speaks into our identity. It's a really fascinating thing, this whole idea between the false self and the real self. And 20th century um, psychology gave us some good stuff, you know. Um, and Karen Horney and others who were, were disciples of Freud really talked about the false self and the real self. And we all know what this is. The false self is is the self you wish you were. On your best day, that, that one golf shot on the way in, Sean Kent reminded me of a golf shot I had three and a half years ago. And he started trying to tell me what hole was on. I was like, yeah, dogleg left. Yeah, I still remember that. You know, and he's like, whoa. Um, we, we, we so have this, this idea of ourself of who we could be on our best day. And so we do one thing really well, that becomes the new standard. If someone asks you, what's your golf handicap, or, or you know, how good are you at something, or, or whatever it is, you'll automatically go to that one day when you had your best day. You won't go to the average, right? You won't, you won't go to what you could do today. You'll go to your best day, because we want to be more than we are. We really, really do. And we try to... Um, sell that false self on other people. We, we try to help um, to use language and to, to dress a certain way and to buy certain things so that people will think we're this thing that we we feel like we really could be if we could just get a little bit of a, a routine going or, or like leg it out or, or just get some consistency in our life you know I know I could get there but I'm, you know, in the meantime I'm just gonna make people think that this is who I am but it's never who we really are we, we live behind that mask, right? Last week, Bill Shervelli was talking about glory. And we, we really do try to clothe ourselves and find our significance that way rather than um, the idea of Jesus Christ that we are, we are clothed in his righteousness. Um, we even, in our Christian language, mess this all up. We talk about Jesus being in our heart when the New Testament language is that we are in Christ. The idea is we're clothed with Christ's righteousness and we go where he goes and and that's our significance and our glory rather we use all this language about Christ being in my heart and Christ going with me as if I'm the outer shell that I'm the one that's significant and Christ is just kinda fueling that helping me out a little bit because I know I fall short just a tiny bit um we even use our language that way but so we're we've got this mask I love what um Shakespeare writes in Hamlet and it's act, act. act three in scene one which is the kind of famous one to be or not to be and Hamlet's all kind of wigging out and despairing of life and he has this conversation with Ophelia and the funny thing is he starts off by telling her get get thyself to a nunnery um, because he's saying like you know men are so bad life is so bad and why would you have kids and bring more people into this whole thing it's all messed up so he says like five times like get thee to a nunnery you know? it's really funny stuff but so So here's what Hamlet says, though, and and I think it's really, I love how he puts it. He says, God hath given you one face, and you make yourselves another. God hath given you one face, and you make yourselves another. When we launched Antioch three years ago, I remember laboring over what would be the the first sermon. Like, what, what do you talk about? Um, it's, this, it's, this, it's this moment, it's kind of the first time it's you know there's so many things you can talk about because you haven't talked about anything you know and there's a lot of people that are new and where do you start and I remember going round and round and I landed in a place I, I didn't expect to land but I ended up talking about significance and, and, and that was the, the title of the message and it was just significance and I was like you know what we find significance or try to find significance in so many different ways that, that build this false self when the reality is that's the part that has to die so that we can replace it with this relationship with Christ where we are abiding in him and our will kinda dies our agenda kinda dies I mean like we're so neurotic about always building this false self and with the economy the way it is now we're it's like a dam breaking you know and I, I guarantee you, you feel just so panicked because what you've erected over all these years what you've amassed and, and the, the reputation and the things like are all crumbling and you're like holy cow how do I fix that and you can't you can't we're it's the neurotic little game and we're, we're oppressed by this false self and, and you know what that's the self that has to die and it's replaced by us abiding in Christ and when we're with Christ we follow him he doesn't just kinda of follow us it's his agenda in our lives, it's his agenda. And so I, I talked about significance. Where does real significance come from? And then the, the very next series starting the next week was the series because I thought it was fun because it flew in the face of all the things I'd read that said you got to like make people feel a certain way in church. Church growth kind of things. You, it's like the customer's always right and your church will grow really big. And I was like, that sucks. It shouldn't be like that. I think I'll, I'll preach a message that, tells them, you know, everyone that they suck and that they need to die. And we'll call it, and we'll, we'll baptize it with Christ's name, and we'll say, um, uh, what was it, what Jesus says about following Jesus, and it, it was entitled, Come and Die. I was like, yeah, that'll be great, you know, come and die. And so, like, the first series was Come and Die. It's this whole idea of that there's something in us that has to die. So, this whole game's going on, and, and we start and it's real and then over time it becomes this packaged thing that gives us our identity we're trying to find meaning and significance in it and the message is we can only find that in Christ And so that was the first message so this week um I was thinking about what do you talk about at a three year anniversary you know and um I was joking with one of the elders I was like you know if if this was like Jesus's ministry like now's when God would be telling me it's time for me to go die like literally Okay, three years, that's good. It's time for you to die. Um, you know, Jesus only had three years with his disciples. He, he taught what he could. He, he kind of poured into him, and then it was, it, he was done. And I was like, wow, that would be really weird. Like, what would it be like if, if I was had, had to, like, exit right now? You know, or something like that. And it's just kind of wrestling with it, wrestling with it. And I kind of started thinking about what is the purpose of church? What is, what is the, the identity of church? What's the nature of church? And I began to realize something's been happening in my heart slowly that I didn't see coming. And what was happening with church was the same thing that happens with our life. It starts organic. It starts real. It starts because you're passionate about it, because you love it. And then over time, it gets packaged. And it gets institutionalized. and And it gets formalized. And, and then you have to prove, and you have to maintain, and you have to meet expectations, and you have to deliver. And all these things begin to happen so that your identity or the, the identity of the church um, remains fixed or constant. Does that make sense? It's really interesting. I, I, went, I was at an elder meeting a, a little bit ago, a, a week, week and a half ago, and I kind of shared a bunch of this stuff with them, like, really super passionately. Sounded like a 12-year-old. It's kind of cool that I got it out with them so that I'd sound like a little more mature talking to you guys, you know. But, I mean, I would begun to, I was talking with another older guy in the church. and We were like, yeah, you know, we have to, everyone's got different opinions on everything. You know, s- some people are super excited we're doing a college. Other people are like, yeah, I, you know, I don't even want to hear about it. You know, some people are super excited we're, we're doing this thing, World Relief Next. Other people are like, you know, hey, that's not my thing. Some people are super excited, you know, that we, we value the arts and that, that, that Justin's able to do cool things and stuff like that. And then other people are like, yeah, I don't value that. And, and after a while, you're like, oh, there's all these opinions. Like, how do, I, how do I just shoot the middle and please everybody? And so I was talking with this other older guy, and I was like, yeah, okay, uh, boy, we're doing this elder newsletter. It's going to come out in like a couple of weeks because we're going to start trying to just up communication. it would be kind of cool. Like, so once a quarter, kind of an elder newsletter, just things written in it. And me and this other guy, we were like, okay, how do, we, how do we talk just about Antioch and not say anything about the college or not say anything about World Relief Next because, you know, like, it would be better if we just talked about Antioch because that way everybody would be happy, right? I mean, it sounded so... Right. I just was depressed for like two weeks. I'm like, how do I do that? Like, what do I say? How do I, where's the vision? I mean, I, just Annie, I can't talk about any of this other stuff because, you know, someone might not like that. Um, but how do I, how do I get it just, just the thing that's common to all of us or something like that? And I just went round and round and round, literally like went insane with it. And then this past week I was watching, uh, or last week when Kip asked me for, pictures from the beginning of Antioch, there's this little clip, video clip that someone had shot in the Mitchell's house when there was like 20 of us. It was like our first meeting ever. And, um, and I was talking about the difference between, in this video clip, the difference between a movement and an institution. And the idea about a movement, it was, it's not built on, on structure or foundations that way. It's built on people stuff built on momentum, it's built on passion, and it's built on shared values and shared vision. Um, it's totally different than an institution. If you try to compare like a civil rights movement with Walmart, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just different animals. Um, and I'm talking about this with that group of 25 people. I'm saying like, what we're doing here, God didn't call the church to be an institution. I mean, you can't even talk about church as if it's over there because church only exists when we're gathered together the word church in the bible just means gathering like a bunch of people show up like we're here this morning and are gathered church means church we are gathered together so to talk about church as if it's a walmart like is nonsensical from from like the uh, point of view of the bible like it's just not an institution like that it's a community. It's loose. It's people gathered together with God at the center. And So I was, I'm talking about, hey, we're not trying to start an institution. So we're not going to have membership like a Costco card. And we're not going to this and that. And it's going to be a movement. And I was watching this video, and, and it just, all of a sudden I was like, whoa. Like, what's happened? I was like, we started here, and and it was a movement. we were like, and the, the people that were there, you remember this, we were like, you know what? We're gonna value the arts because nobody does. No, but no church like that we'd seen valued the arts. It's like you show up at the door and you have to check your your gifts at the door. You, you can't bring that into the community of faith. And we're like, but God gives artistic gifts to people, and and like when you use the language of arts, you speak so much deeper and more meaningfully than when you use like engineering language. And and if we're gonna like connect with God at an emotional level, we need the arts. And so we were like hey we're gonna do that because it matters because we care about it and then we were like you know what we care about education because frankly um, once a week having a talk like this is, is like um, just drinking baby formula for a whole life if you really 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 want to grow and, and develop and learn you gotta get in and read and study and interact and ask questions and so we were like we're gonna value education wouldn't it be neat if we can start this thing, and back then we called it an Antioch School of Theology. We were like, we're going to, we don't know how that would happen. We're just going to trust God, like, because we value that. And then we were like, you know what, we want to get involved in Africa. And so we t- talked to a bunch of different places. We talked to World Relief, and they were like, hey, uh, it costs 50 grand a year. And we were like, <laughs> like really? That's like our whole budget. Um. And so, but, but these were passions of this little community that wanted to change the world, like make an impact in the world. And in three short years, like we were given the school that we turned into Kilns College, and this fall we just capped 100 students, went over 100 students in attendance. And 26 of those classes are being taken for credit by college kids. And we've had five different senior pastors in Central Oregon teach We just added Tim Kazar from Sisters Community to the Board of Directors and it's amazing. Wes Hurd is sitting over here uh, who drove in from the valley to teach an art history class Friday night and all day yesterday. Um, I mean it is amazing what God has been able to do with that college and that college helped us get something else that we'd always had a vision for which was a coffee house in the community. And then with some weird happenings, World of Leaf Next happened not because we were like this has to happen but like God just brought it out of nowhere. The brosies moved here and da 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 And uh, this weekend, next weekend, two people are flying down to the Hollywood Film Festival because that video that, that was done for the Enough project about conflict minerals in the Congo won. And so it's like they're flying down to the Hollywood Film Festival where it's going to be screened. And in December, the craziest thing of all is uh, there's a whole group of us flying to Willow Creek in Chicago because we, we are hosting a conference of 30 different people, um, professors from colleges in in uh, African studies, different churches, Lynn Hybels and the Willow Creek people there, churches on the East Coast, churches in the Midwest, that are coming together to try and work on what would a national collaborative campaign for the Congo look like. We're hosting that. It's crazy. You don't know it, but they've, they've been working for the last three months on a a two-disc project called the Congo Benefit Project. It's a CD of like 16 songs, half of them are originals. And then Justin, with his friends and his connections, is brought like had all these different people that are saying, "Yeah, I'll donate a song." Like already mastered, already recorded, already everything. Donate it rights-free to this project. And then videos that we've done. And this is being packaged up and um, going to be distributed around the country through World Relief. Um, Lynn Heibel's son-in-law is now on it, and so that whole network and. It's crazy. This and in December you're gonna you're gonna have this. We've got a CD release party, um, December 6th at the Tower, where a bunch of the bands that are on the CD are gonna play. And a guy from Congo. If you remember the Congo video that we showed, uh, this guy that was born and raised in the Congo, and he says, "Unless you are willing to commit suicide, like we've committed suicide, then don't come to the Congo." I mean, it was a crazy line that he he dropped on this video. And he's the head of bringing churches together reconciling Hutu and Tutsi churches in Congo his name is Marcel and he's going to fly out and be with December, with us December 6th for that CD release Matt Smith and Ben Edwards are, are pitching a book idea to um, a, a secular publisher in New York about doing a book um, of Congo people talking in their own voices to where they would go back and do pictures and, and narrative stories of these people talking in their own voices with the royalties and proceeds going back through World Relief to those churches and those people um, that are over there. I mean, crazy stuff is happening with this thing. We never planned for it, right? And that's not the only thing that's going on. There's a movement in this church to help the homeless in this community that's unbelievable. And you might not know about it. It's like under the radar. Um, There's going to be a bin for clothes that's going to start showing up. But there's a group that goes to the shepherd's house once a month. There's a bunch of other people that go randomly on their own. If you ever want to help with Shepherd's House, just write it on there. We'll get you connected. But there's, like, people in this church just filing out and doing justice and helping vulnerable people. Um, Habitat for Humanity, some of the people in this church that are getting involved and helping with that. And, And so the list goes on and on. It's like, and I never imagined we'd have artistic talent the way we have and that we'd be able to accomplish all the goals we had. So when I was talking to the elders a week and a half ago, I just went off and I said, you know, what I realized when, when I was watching this little video about a movement and an institution was that what I saw in my my big dreams, our big dreams when we started the church, we've done them all. Like that's how short-sighted we were. Like we've we've done all those. We wanted a church that wasn't legalistic and we wanted this. And it's all happening. And I was like, that's amazing. Like this church has borne this fruit because we were passionate. And now I'm trying to figure out, how do I talk about this church without any mention of the fruit? Because it might not be like, you know, I mean, you like oranges, other people like apples. It might not be the fruit you like. So how, let, me, let me try and talk about the church, Antioch, without talking about any of the fruit. And I was like, that's absolutely absurd. And not only that, but we prayed this prayer over and over when we met before the church launched. And it was out of Ephesians. And in Ephesians, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And we used to say, like, um, God is limited by our biggest dreams. Our, our dreams are not as big as, as what God could do or what God would have us dream. Like, we're, we're limited. And I used to, in the back of my mind, and I'm not, the I mean, don't judge. Cause I know you do this too. Um, you know, you say things, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking something a little bit slightly different. You know what I'm talking, I mean, I need you to nod before I'm going to tell you what I did, because it's not fair. But, but like, you'd say that, and in the back of my mind, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, it sounds good, but I dream pretty big dreams. You know, we're, we really are, have some huge dreams here, you know, um, but I don't want to brag about the size of our dreams. So the real thing ought to be, you know, our, our dreams limit God because he says, it says, you know, Paul says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So I'm with the elders and I'm just like um, wow, I didn't, I didn't see this coming but I, all the plans I had, like they're done. Like I don't have any more plans. I'm out of, I'm out of ideas. Like It happened and it made me realize how small the thinking was. And how amazing the passion and the energy of this church has been in doing these things. And I was like, what a ridiculous idea to begin to think institutionally. And to try to get caught up in this idea of pleasing people. Such that I would try to talk about what God has done without talking about what he's done. Just talking about maybe the programs or, you know, the bulletins or... Or the structure or I mean just the neutrals you know hey we have uh, staff meetings on Monday That's a cool thing That's Antioch you guys excited it's, it's not I mean it's the, it's the beauty of a tree is is what it gives fruit to that's why when Jesus like came up on a, a fruit tree that hadn't borne fruit he cursed it your purpose for living is to bear fruit in this congregation our purpose for gathering is to get God's agenda and then to go out and to actually be able to do it through his strength and his power and to see amazing things happen. And it doesn't all have to be the same things. And here's the amazing thing. And Brandon alluded to it. Like, what fruit are you, are you going to bear that hasn't been born yet? What passion do you have that, that wasn't, that isn't a part of kind of what's happened already, but is a part of what could happen if we just got fired up and we energized each other and gassed it and had the momentum to overcome the obstacles to see something else amazing happen, you don't have to like any of that other stuff. You just have to go, sweet, I'm glad stuff happens here. I've got an idea. Or I'm willing to commit to something. Or I want to jump on board. Or how can you use me? And it's it's that idea and that thinking. And so I don't want to become institutionalized. If you if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter twelve. And I've got it on the board here. I'm going to read an excerpt of a prayer Mike Mitchell wrote for our inaugural service later. But he used this scripture, this scripture, and I was meditating on it, and I thought, you know what? I like I like it. I like what it says. It really has to do with, with what's going on when we gather together. And and in chapter twelve of Romans, in verse nine, it says this: Love must be sincere. The actual Greek word is unassuming. Love has to be unassuming. It has to be sincere. It has to be not pretentious, not puffed up, not arrogant, not high. It, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. You know, we, we can have people shake hands. You know, hey, Stan, meet a neighbor near you. But our false self and our, our exterior shell is just going to be banging into other people's false selves and exterior shells and... It's not really that authentic, is it? It's not. What, what's real, what's sincere, is when we invest ourselves into a community. And investing, you can't invest without investing into other people. Or, or seeing that it helps little kids, or, or adults, or families, or whoever. And, and when we begin to invest, it knits us together and it ties us with other people and it's sincere and it's real and it's authentic. And it happens probably because you just like doing it. It's just, you just have a passion for it. And that has to be what this church is about. It has to be real. It has to be authentic. And if we begin to do things because of duty or because it's packaged or because it's scripted or because it's institutional or because it's required... It's just not, it's not what God envisioned. But listen to how it continues. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one one another above yourselves. If this is an institution, we're going to talk about it next week. I've got a message next week, and I, you know, I kind of was reading it, and I I was praying to God, and I was like, God, please don't let the elders fire me. You know, I don't think they will. But, I mean, we're going to talk about the church next week, and we're going to lay out a plan on how to kill Antioch in 20 years. Um, Because unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot give life. And so whether Antioch lives past 20 years is a different story, or 30 years, whatever. But our our vision should be to give ourselves away, to die that others might live, not to begin to close ranks and figure out how to, Institutionalize, protect, ground, so that we can live forever. It's, I'm not gonna live forever. My purpose with my kids is to raise them so that they can be launched out of my house. and And the real pain is I gotta kiss them goodbye. And I think one of the things we've gotten wrong in the church in America is we love to hoard people. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if Antioch is 1,500 people in like five years? Well, for that to happen, you can't leave. People can't leave. We have, to, we have to keep them. We have to monitor them. We have to make sure they're happy so that they stay, so that we can continue to grow. I mean, can you imagine a parent, like, dealing with their family that way? And church is family. Leaders of churches are supposed to, to view it as family. Our job is to equip, to help grow you, to help nurture you, to help just fire you up so that you can go. So that God can use you, so that you can be sent, so that you can go start another church, or, or, or live overseas, or, or whatever. But you don't exist to grow. And we hoard. So I don't know, that's next week. Wait, here's verse 11. Now this is the crazy one, right? Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spir- spiritual fervor. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. What does the word fervor mean? Anybody? Raise your hand. It's like one of those words from a bygone era, right? Um, it's actually zeontes, which means burning. Zeontes in Greek means Burning. Keep your spiritual burning. Antioch, keep your spiritual burning, your passion, your fire, your drive, your your desire to see God do something in our midst, in this town, through us. Keep that red hot. I mean, just keep fanning those flames. And if, if it begins to get cold, let's pull together let's talk to each other, let's encourage one another, let's tell some stories, let's keep our spiritual burning. Let's not grow cold, it says in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Then the very next next line is, um, do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. Don't grow weary, like don't give up, keep your spiritual burning. And and then help each other out. Give to each other. we got to stay together. This gathering has no structure underneath it other than God is at the middle and we're gathered around Him. And that has to stay hot. It has to stay moving. It has to be about something. We have to be willing to sacrifice our agenda to make it about His agenda. That's all church is. And we can slide over to institution and make it about great programs or about your satisfaction but then it's about your agenda, and it's no longer God's church. Listen to this verse. I don't have it on the screen, but you can listen to it. This is Jeremiah. Now, I'm learning something here over the last couple years. You can't open the Bible like three times, plop, 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 you know, like plop and drop. You just open your Bible and By the way, it's one of my favorite ways to read the Bible. All throughout seminary, I was told like, it's a horrible way to read the Bible. Never train people to read the Bible that way. I just disagree. I love it. love just reading. Just God, show me something, right? You didn't hear it from me if you go to seminary. Um, listen to this. But you can't, draw, you can't plop and drop your, your Bible more than three times without coming across justice. And, and we're going to have to start talking about that more often. We've talked about it a lot. We're going we're gonna to talk about it more often. Um, you know, if there's one thing that the economy is showing me and my family um i I thought we were struggling before, and we're struggling worse now, but we're still making it. So what was wrong was my standard for understanding how much I have. and how much we have, God says is is a communal thing it's a part it's my thing it's it's how we love each other and give to each other and share with each other and build each other up and I thought wow I'm doing all I can and now I begin to realize you know what there's so much more that I could have been doing it's it's exposed I mean it's, I mean, it's bad and bent but in some ways it's also exposed how much we used to have without realizing it. so Jeremiah is talking about justice Okay, God is prophesying chapter 7 False religion is worthless. He talks about justice. Um, He goes on and on and on. And then listen to what it says here in verse 9. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then listen to this, verse 10. And then come and stand before me in this house. You're going to go do what you want to do. You're going to go pursue your own agenda. You're going to just not give any thought to me. And then you're going to come to the temple and you're going to stand before me in this house. This house that bears my name. And you're going to say, we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? Now here's the the fascinating thing to me with this verse. Jesus goes in, he he makes this whip. If you ever want to read some weird stuff, Jesus, I mean, you've heard the story. He, He gets the whip, he goes in and he drives out the money changers from the temple courts. The crazy verse is that Jesus leaves, he like weaves together a whip and then he goes back in. It's like premeditated, okay? Any any court would have like condemned Jesus for premeditated whipping. But I I always thought Jesus whipped those people because they were robbing. The money changers and they're selling things and stuff like that. And I'm like, Jesus went in and he he whipped them because they were stealing. They were robbing. But it quotes this. Jesus was quoting this verse when I looked at this this week you know what's amazing this is, is God's not saying because they're in the act of robbing here's what God's saying you remember the old westerns they would go rob stuff and then they'd go hide out in the mountains like in the little cave or, or, or the canyon you guys remember that so they're hiding out in the canyon and that's the, the den of robbers it's their, it's their hideout and they go there why it's safe not, they don't steal there they steal elsewhere. And then they come there and they go, oh, whew, We can let our guard down here. It's safe. What did God say? You come to my house that bears my name and you say, We are safe. We're safe. We go out into the world. We pursue our agenda. Then we come back to God's house and we go, This feels good. This feels right. It feels safe. I'm tired. I'm worn down. Wow, this is restorative. I enjoy this. This is satisfying. Whew, how are you doing? You doing good too? <clears throat> All right, it's, uh, it's time to go back. Okay, let's go back into the world. To do what? To do our agenda. This verse is saying is something that I, I never saw before. God is angry. Because of a one basic thing we're doing our agenda rather than his agenda and when we're coming to his house we're we're pretending like we're not really committed to our own agenda but we really are and God's saying you're coming to my house which is where you were supposed to come and see me hear from me be reminded of my agenda God's agenda the right agenda where you're to go out and not take but give uh, t- to not fight and kick and claw and strive, but to kneel and submit and to love and to serve and to sacrifice and to let me take care of you because you're doing my will. You're, you're moving out into this world and doing my work and building my kingdom. And you're coming to my house and you're, you're just perverting the whole thing. I found this thing and I thought my wife wrote it turns out it was Linda Van Borst. Linda, I oh, know, you're somewhere. I guess it was when you were on staff, like you, the first year of Antioch. It was in my Bible. Um, but it was a staff meeting, I think, from the first year of Antioch, and we asked the question, why do we do what we do? Remember that? I think it's you. Linda was on staff the first year. It was in my Bible, and I just cleaned my Bible out this week. It's been a long time. Why do we do what we do? I think we, we asked this question to staff, like, hey, why do we do what we do? Is this just our agenda? Building our kingdom? Because it feels good? Reach the people that don't know Christ. Encourage the people that do know Christ. Get God's affirmation in heaven to further God's kingdom because we're called to do it, because we have compassion to do it, because people are needy, because it changes lives for community's sake, out of obedience. Because there's free food, that must have been Kip. Um, Because there's cool stuff in the middle of it. Like, I don't know, there's some good stuff in there. Because of the blessings. To be involved rather than being a bystander. Because we're told to do it. It's God's agenda. To make a difference. Because we wouldn't want it any other way. Because we can't not do it. Because we're actually gifted to do it. Because it's a way to honor God and to love God and show that we care because there's a purpose for this whole thing that we can fulfill. I I don't want anything other than just this, which is fun. I was a church planter three years ago. Like 25 people planted this church. It was fun. It was so fun. Seeing this, seeing the things that are happening, so cool. Don't ever want this. It's gonna be a temptation. It's hard. I don't like getting the critical emails. I don't like trying to like mediate issues i don't like all that stuff and it grinds me down and i'll try and make everyone happy i know i'm going to be there again but i don't want that let's keep our spiritual burning let's keep i mean let's keep our spiritual burning here's mike mitchell's prayer for us from the very first service got a picture of it handwritten notes kind of cool this is an excerpt it says this give antioch special grace to fit us for special services. Keep us humble and conformed to thy will. Give us knowledge of your goodness. May our food be your precious word. Allow our minds to be flooded with your peace. We resolve to live in forgiveness, in kindness, in goodness, in purity, in gentleness, so, we may be used, so that we may be used to encourage each other to draw closer to Christ. And then it ends by praying the prayer of Paul in Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. I pray that he would strengthen Antioch with the power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen, amen.